I'm so thankful for this man of God. And I'm so glad that he gave up that Sunday to be at his home church to be with us today. That is a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice for a pastor to do that. But we are honored and we are thankful. Would you make him feel welcome one more time at East Wind? Pastor Jeffrey Harpole. We're blessed in the city. We're blessed in the field. We're blessed when we come and when we go. We tear down every stronghold. Sickness and poverty must cease. For the devil is defeated. We are blessed. Oh, we're blessed in the city. We're blessed in the field. We're blessed when we come and when we go. We Sickness and poverty must cease For the devil is defeated We are blessed Say, late in the midnight hour God's gonna turn it around He's gonna work in your favor We are blessed Late in the midnight hour God's gonna turn it around Come on, say Say, now we're blessed in the city we're blessed in the field. We're blessed when we come and when we go. We tear down every stronghold. Sickness and poverty cease. For the devil is the Put your hands together. He's a good. There are people that come through our lives and, and they're very kind to us. And uh, at, at one point, um, I was part of a singing group. My voice is really rough today, but amen. We're just going to give it and then tomorrow um, we'll just be quiet. I'll just be quiet tomorrow. Um, Brother Johnson uh, was so kind to me. Uh, I, at, he probably doesn't remember all the things, but this afternoon I was recalling, Brother Johnson, your kindness to me. My, I was part of a group called Carruthers and Company. I was the company. Um, and I always say, not good, not, not necessarily good company, just no-name company, you know. And, uh, I got to roll up the microphone cords a lot. Um, and so I want to say thank you, Brother Johnson, and, and um, for your kindness. And I want to I honor you today for your labor in the kingdom. And it does go on, Brother Johnson. So we love you very much. Thank you. And of course, to, to our pastor and the first lady, we love them and I'm very, very thankful. I, I have uh, uh, that, that great feeling of security around them. And part of what the Lord has given to me tonight, I I didn't understand it when I was on the plane coming here. But it didn't take too long being around Pastor Myers to know that um, it was the angel to the city and specifically the spirit of the angel to the city, which is your pastor, that, um, that the Lord was allowing me to to look into his word it's because of his spirit and of course when I say 
your pastor. I'm, I'm always meaning your pastor's wife too. And, and I want to, I want to say how good it is to know that I can walk into a place and the Lord has gone before me. There's, there's a great encouragement here tonight. I'd like to say that I'm honored to meet the three spectacular children of the first family. Um, <clears throat> Amen. And they have uh, two great young men, and Sophia is like none other. So she can hold her own, I think, with anybody. In fact, if you feel led, see if you just come up and preach this, you can do it. I, I know you can. Amen. I'm reading from the book of Second Samuel, chapter 21. And uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. I, um, when I was 12 years old, I witnessed to my best friend. Now, I'm not going to call his whole name because he is, uh, he's now pretty renowned. He has over 300 papers that were written, that he has written in radiation oncology. And he is known, he's trained most of the radiation oncologists that work at the Mayo Clinic and at MD Anderson. <clears throat> when I was 12 years old, I won him to the Lord and... Um, he was baptized in Jesus' name and received the Holy Ghost. And we grew up together in the church from that point on. And um, he was my closest friend forever. We did everything together. <clears throat> At the time, I played the drums and he played the bass. And that gave us things to do in church. That was a good thing. Because prior to that, my father would always invite me to come by special invitation to come and sit on the front row because dad was so kind. <laughs> so, praise the Lord. So, after college was over, we both graduated, he went on to med school and I took a different path. And the world got a hold of him. And the money, oh, the money. And we kept in contact, but there was so much separation from us. Because my heart was in the word of God and his heart was taken by the cares of this life. Um, I went on a fast about three months ago and I... I got off that little fast and I was praying and I, we had a Saturday night prayer meeting at our church and I couldn't believe all the people that showed up, you know. It was, it was a big prayer meeting. And I started to say something in prophetic word. I want to get the microphone, but I felt it was too much for the people. But I did just summarize a little uh, compelling feeling the Lord gave me. And that feeling that I had three months ago in that prayer meeting overwhelmed me when I walked into this room. It was as if I was standing on Saturday night at our own church in that prayer meeting. 
and it is congruent with the spirit of your pastor. And it is, it's profound and it's, it's of God. And I prayed this prayer and I had the church pray that backsliders would come back. And every week from that point on, every Sunday, at least one person has been walking back into our church. One, at least one. Except for last week, no one came back last week. But before I got out of my office on Saturday night, my old friend, Larry, texted me. And he opened up a door and sent me a song about Judah. (laughs) He had been listening to. And man, I wanted to text back and say, just call out for God. But I was hesitant and I just knew little by little. That's awesome, Larry. That's awesome, man. He's, He's right close to Harold Hoffman. He loves Harold Hoffman. And if there's one guy that can, that can relate to that brain, it's Harold Hoffman. <laughs> so he's in the right place. Amen. All right. Are you ready? And Rizba, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth, spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest upon them by day not the feet, not the beasts of the field by night. Someone told David what Rizba was doing. She was the concubine of Saul. Let me just do it again. Rizba took sackcloth, made a bed on a rock. From the beginning of harvest until the water came. She didn't allow the birds of the air to rest, not the beasts of the field. They couldn't come. David was told. And tonight I, I, I want to preach this word. Now, I will say, I've heard so many sermons, and there's about 10 of them, 11 of them swimming in my brain about Rizba because I spent the better part of my childhood sleeping in church. And every once in a while, I would wake up and hear what the preacher would say. And I've heard so many, so I cannot tell you that every word that I'm about to say is, is original with me. I want you to know that because there's so many preachers that have put input into this. But uh, at, at the very least, I've, I've brought my thoughts together. I want to give credit. I just can't remember how many people. It could have been my mother. She preached most of the sermons to me. Um, but if it was her, I'll just take credit as her, as her offspring. Now, I just want you to put your Bibles down, and I'm asking you just to try to block out everything in your life and in your mind and ask the Holy Ghost to anoint me. I need the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and I want you to pray that the Lord would anoint you to receive the word. Would you do that with me right now? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Anoint us, O Father. Anoint us, O Father.
Jesus. Amen. I thank you for standing. God bless you. And you may be seated. In the days of kings, when men so ruled in ways that are quite foreign to us, the Bible will speak of lineages and sons and sometimes daughters given to the wives and the concubines of these men. In this particular verse that I read to you, we are privy to a strange and yet compelling plight of a woman whose name is Rizba in every sense. She never made it to the seat of respect of the man she called husband. Like Hagar of Abraham, who was not his wife, but Sarah's handmaiden, Rizba also was not the queen sitting next to her king. She's just a handmaiden. She is described as a concubine in the scripture. She will serve this now wicked king in a most unusual way. She will simply produce sons. Rizba was not blessed to be joined with a man with a tender heart like that of David. She was not given to a man who had pure motives and loyalty like that of Jonathan. Rizba's sham of a marriage was in fact nothing more than an offhanded thought of a man more concerned about himself than his own family, and she no doubt was the lowest of his priorities. Saul was anointed king, and in a moment's notice, he will capitulate to those spirits of arrogance. He's so wrapped up in himself, he loses sight of what God has given to him. And in his sinful state, he personally erased and violated long-standing alliances and agreements, insomuch that he killed 85 innocent Gibeonite men. That was the man to whom Rizba was joined to. Those Gibeonite men were the men that Israel had swore an oath to protect many, many years prior. That went back so far. In fact, at the time of Joshua chapter 9, when Joshua himself pledged to protect them, it was a long-standing alliance between Gibeah and Israel, and King Saul knew it. But in his arrogance... He disregarded the wisdom of his forefathers. I hope you never disregard the wisdom of your elders. He destroyed the innocent to prove his own authority and self-worth. And the families of those murdered men fell into great mourning over the loss of their sons. They never saw it coming. They never suspected that King Saul would so ruthlessly and without shame slaughter them. It never crossed their minds to protect themselves because they thought they were in the house of a friend. But Saul, without remorse in regard to the oath taken or regard to their families or their lives or children or to the past pledge, he killed them without a hint of regret. He marched before the Gibeonites with his sons and his soldiers and he murdered 85 defenseless and innocent people. And because of that, 
even after David had taken the throne, and even after Saul was dead and gone, God caused a famine to afflict the land. Saul and his three sons had died in the battle. Not all of his sons, just three of them. Sadly enough, Jonathan, that consummate companion and faithful friend of David, stood beside his father as arrows scaled the noonday sky. They took their pleasure and pierced their bodies. Saul was wounded and he turned to see his three closest sons fallen in battle. Their lifeless frames lay sprawled out in a gruesome, repugnant drape. The reality of it and finality enveloped his rational mind. He, he could finally see his own plummet as the bloody evidence stained that ground. The Bible says that Saul fell on his own sword after a feeble plea was left unanswered for another man to kill him. It is a brutal scene. All of this killing and murder and conquest. World history is littered with scenes just like this one. We probably don't know the half. But even though Saul died along with his three closest sons, the payment had yet to be made for the sins against Gibeon. There were seven other sons that were living out the wickedness of their father. Seven more sons with hostility running through their veins. And God had plagued the land with a famine because they were alive. So to make peace and to satisfy the penalty of those 85 innocent Gibeon men, David delivered those seven sons to Gibeah for execution. It was a judgment against Saul. And while it might have haunted David to deliver Saul's other sons to such finality, nevertheless, the land would be cursed by God until every deed of that wicked empire and king Saul and his sons came to an end. That's your Bible. Gibeah knew that Saul had died, but they were not content with just knowing that. For they also knew that his lineage was still alive. They knew that there were others who were also offenders of such terrible actions against them. So they said, and I quote, The man that consumed us and has devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coast, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us and we will hang them. We'll hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the King David said, I will give them. Seven sons for execution. Two of those sons belong to that scorned and disregarded woman named Rizba. Her two boys were among those seven, those wicked men who carried out the deeds of their father. Her children were among those men responsible for the drought and for the judgment of God upon them. Scholars agree that indeed they took part in the slaughter of Gibeah. Most historians say that it would have been the most natural place for a king's son to join him in battle. Quite obviously, Jonathan would have been the only one refraining from such a dreadful practice. But when David turned those men over to the people of Gibeah to be hanged for their crime, Rizba made her passion known. The Bible says that she made her bed on a rock. She stayed there even after they had died, protecting their hanging and lifeless bodies. Yes, they had committed crimes. Yes, they were guilty, and there was no doubt of their despicable past. But from the beginning of harvest until the rain fell, that means from early April until around October, maybe even late October, which would have been considered an entire season of the barley harvest, Rizba protected the judge bodies of her two sons from the ravenous beast. 
She made her bed on a rock and chased away the fowls of the air by day and the beast of the field by night because even though they were judged, she was still unwilling to allow them to be devoured. She was unwilling to toss those sons aside. Their judgment did not prohibit her passion. Their judgment against them did not negate her love for them. She was there to protect whatever was left. They were wrong. They had sinned. But whatever was left, she was going to protect it. And for an entire season, Rizba taught the world a lesson about how to deal with fallen sons and fallen daughters. Children, the backslider, the wayward. You see, there is a judgment to everyone who turns their back on this truth and who defies the laws of God and commits sins of the flesh. There is a sure judgment against people who forsake the law of the Lord, who knew the truth and turned to fables and falsehoods and worldliness. You will never defy the law of harvest. Whatever you plant, you will also reap. But I am concerned and I am encouraged even because I feel that in you, Pastor, there is a heart of Rizba in this house. Maybe some would be unwilling to accept her position. And if so, you don't need to look any further than the prophet Amos who raised his head up long enough in this world to write about the shepherd who chases after the lamb. Amos tells us that the lamb is lost and the shepherd is running after the lamb. He's trying to find the lamb and he's going through the field and then through the tall tundra he sees something that's matted down. There's a trail of blood through the tall tundra and he comes upon the lamb but it's too late. The lion has already taken the lamb and the lamb is torn to pieces and there is but a remnant there's almost no evidence of the lamb left but Amos says that the, that the shepherd is not content to walk away why would you walk away the lion has almost consumed everything but the shepherd never walks away he's not walking away despondent instead Amos says that the shepherd reaches into the mouth of the lion and he pulls out two legs and a piece of an ear why would he do that why would he go through the struggle when the reality was fina- finality, because I say tonight, the shepherd is not willing to let go any peace. He's going to get back everything he can get from the mouth of the lion. Whatever remains, he's going to get it back. Whatever's left over, he's going after. He's not content to let the devil, to let the lion devour the whole thing. He says, oh no, if there's a little piece here, I'm going to get it back. I'm reaching inside. I got the heart of Rizba. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. I feel the heart of Rizba is in this house. I feel like something is in this house. It's emanating from the, from the pastor. It's coming from the pew. And I proclaim today, there's going to be a great revival of the backslider. you've never seen anything yet I'm here to tell you you've never seen anything yet they're not that far you might think they're far they're not that far because there is a shepherd that shepherd and Rizba is pausing to offer hope to the judged and to the blinded and the condemned and to the bound and the wounded 
Go look in your Bible. You'll find David's son, Absalom, who has turned Israel upside down. Absalom, who became vicious, who would have killed his own father and destroyed the kingdom. Absalom has turned evil. He's consorted to not only overthrow his own father, but he has become vile and corrupt. The likes of which is inappropriate for me to even speak from this platform. Read it in your Bible. But when the time came, when the captains of David's army went out to fight and to deliver and bring back Absalom, David stood up and he said to them in 2 Samuel chapter 18, this is what he said, deal gently with my son. Deal gently. I know he's a sinner. I know he means me harm. I know he wants to kill me. But deal gently. He's still my boy. I got to save whatever's left. I know he's out. I know he's. I know his mind is twisted. But deal gently. The Bible says that the captains heard it. And I'll let you discover what happened when they, when they disobeyed the command. But I want to point out the heartbeat of a father. It was the heartbeat of Rizma rising out of David's chest. Because some are going to stumble in their way. And some are going to leave the faith. And they're going to be clouded in their judgment. And some are going to walk away from the truth. And they're going to walk away from the church. And they're going to get engrossed in the ugliness of this world. They don't even know how messed up they really are. And some are going to get discouraged. And some are going to be offended. And some are going to count the cost. And some are going to get entangled with trivial matters. and Give away precious times in the house of God for what amounts to nothing. And some are going to sin, outright sin. And they will surely face a judgment if they don't repent. But Rizba is lying on a bed of stone crying out. They may be judged for their crimes. They may be guilty. They may have committed a sin. But I'm their mother. And I'm still something. I got to do something. Here's Paul. But Jerusalem, which is above, that's you, is free. That's you, the mother of us all. Come on, mama. There's a lot of backsliders in this town. There's a lot of sons and daughters and nephews and nieces. And Rizba's chasing away the fowls and the beast. She's reaching in and spreading grace in a dark place. That is the heartbeat of Rizba. God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? What kind of question is that? What kind of proposal is God making to a mortal man? Who can say if a bone can, a dry, a dead, a parched, scorched bone can live? Who can say? No one had ever seen a dry bone, scattered bones come back to life. No one had ever considered the resurrection of such things because we deal in finality and sealed tombs. We have the insatiable and unquenchable concept of irrevocable finality. We say what is done is done. We doubt that Lazarus can live because we're logical. When we bury someone, we see their emotional state and we have a fixed definition. But the Bible says in Proverbs 24, Lay not wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Spoil not his resting place for a just man. He falls seven times and he rises up again. And you don't know, but that could have been their third or fourth time. But I'm going to stand here and say, they're coming back. They're coming back. Come on, we're going to protect whatever's left. They're coming back. And they've come back to me. Over the years, they've come back and they're coming back. And more have come back. 
I got a beautiful letter from one from a lady just about two months ago, and she wrote a letter and she said, "I'm sorry, Pastor. I I had a bad spirit. I did a whole bunch of stuff. I'm 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 not. I want to come back to church." And I said, "Okay, come back." She said, "You don't understand all the things I was doing while I was gone." And I said, "I want to tell you, we're gonna put it under the blood of the Lamb of God. Just come on back. Come on back." People lose faith. Come on back home. It's time to come on back home. Come on, East Wind. We got to open up our arms and say, come on back home. Come on back home. There's no judgment here. You got a place with us here. I I was preaching uh, a, a, a minister's conference and I had made mention of a prayer that I was praying at the time because I had a couple of, uh, of preachers, kids that I grew up with, pastors, children, and they had backslid and, and I prayed with them and they came back to God and, and, and you could not believe the, the ministers that lined the front. And I just said, any minister with a backslidden child or grandchild, I want you to come down here and write their name on your card. I have a stack of business cards in my office, in my desk. And I pull them out every once in a while. I pray for their names. There's going to be an awakening like we've never seen before. I believe it in the Holy Ghost. I believe it in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Regardless of how it looks and regardless of what judgment comes. Rizba, she beats back the doubters and the criticism. Because the... The fowl and the beast, they have words to say. And they say things that it's, it's demoralizing. And they, they speak of someone who's down. I don't think they'll ever come back. They're too far gone. That ship has sailed. They burned all the bridges. Well, not with me. No, no, not with me. I want you to be quiet for a little bit. I want to say to all the critics, be quiet a little bit. You don't know what God can do. He can bring back anybody. He can restore anybody. Tell you why I'm so overwhelmed with the Holy Ghost. Because the spirit of the man here, he has the spirit of reconciliation. Come on back home. You can just start over right now. Today is a new day. And that is the spirit that's emanating in this house. See, God has the right to put us in the throes of a trial just to bring us to the light. Doesn't matter how good it looks like they're they're doing, he can cast them into a swaller like the prodigal, and in a moment they can lose everything. And it might be that they have to get very low before they look up high. Reality is not real to them. It's 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 a facade. They, the, what they're doing is a facade. And the prodigal, you know, at the end, he lost his own identity. Until he was willing to give up his position. And he said, I'll just come back as a servant. But the father doesn't bring anybody back as a servant. Everybody has to come back as a son. When they start, I'm just going to let you know. When they start walking back in here, you get on your party hats and your kazoo or whatever you do. And let's dance when they come back in the room. We're going to rejoice because they're going to come back into the room. They're coming back to the, to the house of God.
let me let me just tell you what false doctrine and deluded doctrine does. These are philosophies that leave us empty. They're groping for every one question about whether something is heaven or hell. We should never ask whether it's heaven or hell. I don't ever ask Tammy, are you going to, you know, if I, if I don't take out the garbage, you're going to divorce me? You know, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't pick up my dishes, are, are you going to divorce me? I don't ever get down to that. I'm going to please God. But when they get to that level, for every question, it brings up a lot of unanswered questions and unanswerable questions. It's a never-ending circle. It's an infinite loop propelled by human reasoning, but void of anything satisfying because sin is divisive and deluded doctrine. It's a judgment all its own. And you don't have to wait for hell to be afflicted in this life. There can be pain in this life. That's why we got to stay true to God. But, but given that, and I barely scratch the surface, I'm still seeking for the heart of Rizbah because I know that as the world grows darker, the people that once had the light are going to come back to the light and we're going to be ready to receive them. I, I, I don't know why. Because Rizba is guarding dead bodies. She's laying on a bed. She's beating back all the, all the buzzers and all, and all the fowl. And she's beating them back. No, you're not going to take any flesh from that boy. And, she, and, the, and the ravenous beast comes. And she wakes up. And she hears a growl. And she throws a stone. I've been at that place. I've, I've sat on that rock where she was in Israel. It's a hard stone. I've looked up at the cliff where those bodies would have hung somewhere right there. And I've sat on that rock and I said, Rizma was here and she is the church. She is the church is going to welcome an end time revival of backsliders. She's making her bed. I'll tell you what Rizma's doing. Come on, mama. I'm going to tell you who you are. You're making up a hedge, mother. Grandmother, you're making up a hedge. It's not over. You get around the Christmas table and you say how good God is. You don't have to tell him you need to get back to church. You know what you say? God is so good. The Lord is better. He's been better. He's been better than he's ever been. I've got, I've got so much joy. You don't even have to condemn him. Just start speaking about Jesus and something's going to get inside of their heart. You don't know what's going to happen. I feel, I feel the Holy Ghost. Something's going to break out next year. Just lift up your hand and believe it with me. We got to speak it into existence. There's something coming. Yay. Every week, every week there's a backslider coming back. Every week there's a prodigal coming back. Every week there's somebody that got discouraged or coming back. Every week somebody, somebody who has left, they're coming back. Every Sunday. It's what Job wrote. Job writes in his book. He said, there is hope of a tree. That if it's cut down, it can live again. Now the tree that's cut down, what he's, what he's vying for, in fact, he's defending the lifeless tree and the roots. Now, 
logic says we just tear it all up and start over. But Job says, no, 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 no. Don't tear it up. We, we're, it, that thing's going to live. And, and someone comes along and says, well, there's no water. There's no river here. And he didn't even need water. In fact, the Bible says, Job said, the scent of water. That means just a little mist, a little dew. Let me just break it even further down. A little humidity. <laughs> And that thing is going to start growing again. See, what we think is that they need to be slain the spirit and speak in tongues to get back to God. I'm just telling you, a little humidity, just a little mist, and something's going to live again. And they're coming back again. The heart of Rizba is rising. If we ever get a hold of this, you're not going to have room in this building. I, I like all the chairs. It's nice. But you better get here early. Now, you think you can cruise in at 6.05, 6.35. I'm just going to say there's going to come a day you can't get here at 6.30 and get the seat you want. Come on, why don't we just say it out of our mouth? What a, we're the church of the living God. He can do anything. He can bring back the lost and the backslider and the conflicted. Now, I just want to share this with you. And, of course, this comes from the, my next statement. is from the heart of the pastor. So you, you're just going to have to ride that train with me a little bit. Just not much, but I just want to say this that many of them believe that God will forgive them, but they're not sure if the church will accept them. Yeah, I know God will forgive me, but how will people look at me? What will they say? Man, I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to start saying the blood covers everything. Now, this is what I feel in the Holy Spirit. We are going to have the greatest revival we've ever had. And we're not going to baptize one person. Because they've already been baptized. They don't need to be rebaptized. All they need to do is repent. And when they repent, all, all those sins are then cast into the water again. We can have a thousand soul revival and not baptize one person. Because the heart of Rizba, I feel her rising up in this house. I feel the heart of Rizba coming. We're going to bring him back. God's going to bring him back. Come on, lift your hand and say revival. We want to have a revival. Shaya uh, Basata. The, the, now, I, I, I'm for reaching the lost. I want to reach all the lost. I want to reach the people who don't know the Lord. I'm baptizing them. We're baptizing them. The waters are always stirred. So don't, don't think for a moment, I'm not trying to reach the lost. I'm trying to reach the lost that have never heard Jesus. But, but, but revival is not about 
reaching the lost that I've never heard. In fact, if you want to pick apart the word revival means something lived, it died, and now it's going to be revived. So when I say we're going to have revival, I'm not talking about the person who doesn't know Jesus and never knew this apostolic doctrine. I'm talking about people who did know Jesus and left the truth, but they need to be revived. Let's have a revival. last Sunday no one came back there was no backslider last Sunday but my friend texted me and I knew it's greater than one single church it's it's greater and more profound the profundity of his love reaches beyond every location It's in all of our churches. It's in all of our regions. There are thousands and thousands in every state, in every place that have backsliders and wavered and discouraged and confused. And if we ever understood what that meant and we would start intercede for a revival, there would be an overflowing amount of people walking back in. We're not going to have to teach them about tithe. We're not going to have to teach them about giving offerings to missionaries. We're not going to have to talk to them about the mighty God in Christ. They know it all. They know that. They believe it. But they're not living it. But when they come back, there's going to be a rejoicing in the house. There's going to be a dancing in the aisle. There's going to be a a party. There's going to be a recovery. And the heart of Rizba is rising up. I was with some folks and they were talking about a, a man who had backslid. And, and I don't know, I, I don't know, I just kind of got bold a little bit. I've, uh, I, I'm, since I'm not running for anything, I don't care what I say, as long as it's godly. And those guys were standing around talking about this man who backslid and did all this stuff. And I said, what are you guys talking about? What do you preach? What kind of God are you preaching? I'm, I'm preaching Jesus that recovers everybody. I preach a Jesus that when he broke the bread and fed 5,000, he could have been complete, but he did not end with the 5,000. He purposely allowed fragments. He always allowed fragments because he wanted to show us, don't leave any of the fragments lying around. In fact, he said, and I quote, pick up the fragments that remain. They're special too. Get all the fragments. The fragmented people. The messed up people. The confused people. It's okay. I serve a healing God. And he can make your mind. You'll be sitting and clothed and in your right mind. This is Isaiah. He prophesied this word about Jesus. And Matthew wrote it down a thousand years later. Matthew wrote in in Matthew 12 and 20 about the nature of Jesus Christ. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. See, when a reed is bent, it's really not worth anything. 
it, it loses its value. When that reed is bent, it's, it's, you might as well break it off, but Jesus doesn't break it. And when you blow out the candle and the smoking flax and the smoke is rising to the air, you might as well just walk away because the fire is not coming back, but not Jesus. Just in case. He's not going to break it all off and he's not going to pinch it out because your God believes that everyone can come back. He didn't give up on you. And he's not going to give up on them. He's not going to crush the weakest reed and he's not going to put out a flickering candle because the reed is bent and looks good for nothing, but you don't know what God can do. And the fire is out and there's just a little smoke, but you don't know what God can do. Jesus is into resurrections. (laughs) And of all of them that should have known, Peter should have known. Got up and said, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. I'll never deny you. But when he denied him, and the Lord rose from the grave, and after all that had done, I'll just summarize it. He looked at the women. Jesus looked at the women. The Lord said unto the women, Go tell my disciples. That wasn't good enough. Go tell my disciples and Peter that I'm alive. That my belief is the reason why Peter had the courage to stand up on the day of Pentecost because the restoration of the preacher was the basis for the message of the day of Pentecost. That flickering flame flame had faded, but just in case, the Lord revived that. Rizba's name literally translates as pavement. Pavement. It's interesting that her name. I won't labor long here. I'm almost through. But when Jesus was judged, the Bible says they brought him to a specific place. And the place in the Bible is called the pavement. There are only two places in the word where pavement is found. John 19, 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. In the Hebrew, Gabbatha. Maybe they're connected, I I don't know. But I see the correlation between the heartbeat of Rizba, the pavement, and the place where mercy stood. He stood in the gap on the pavement. Mercy has spread her blanket on a rock. The embodiment of mercy is spread out there on the pavement. Mercy. The mercy of God. The mercy of the church. If the church had mercy, it would speak less. It would have soft hearts. It would have open arms. All the judgment would be wiped away. You know, I know people are going to come back and they're going to be messed up. They're going to be all, they're all kinds of issues, but I want them to come back. Come on back with your issue. Come on back with your problem. One of our little girls left the church and about, it was about six weeks ago she came back. Now she's got a baby and, and, and she's got a whole bunch of other stuff happening in her life. And she stood there with me and Tammy just hugged her. She said, I, I feel so much like a failure. I don't, I'm embarrassed to be here. 
She said, but I couldn't stay away because I knew if there was any love left in this world, I knew it was here if there was any love. She said, I'm engaged to a guy. He don't know anything about God. But last Sunday, he spoke in tongues and we baptized him in Jesus' name. Come on, Rizma. Get up, Rizma. Get up. Get that family. Get that in your mind, in your heart. Get that name and call it out in intercession. The heart of Rizma is in this house. Everyone who knows someone that's in this area that needs to get back to God, but they're not right yet, I want you to come down to the front. We're going to stand and we're going to intercede. Come on, everybody. We're going to stand on the pavement tonight and we're going to have a Holy Ghost revival of the lost, of the wayward, of the backslider. And lift up your hands and your voice. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. The Lord just spoke to me. Wait a second. How many do you know? I'm going to start. How many do you know? Do you know one or two? Raise your hand and just give me the, give me the sign. How many people do you know? Three. Three. One. Six. Two. In this area. Five. 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 Two. Three. Three. Two. How many? Ten. How many do you know? Three. Three. Come on. Come on. Say three. Five. Three, one, three, four, three, two, two wayward, five wayward. How many? Forty. Do you know what's going to happen to this place when this opens up? We're not even going to get to the offering. We're going to shout. We're going to praise. Lift up your hands right now and speak their names out. Call their names out. Dispatch the angels of the Most High God.
come on, don't stop. There's some groanings that need to be let out right now. There's a release of intercession all across this house. God has given you the heart of Rispa tonight. Come on. Let that groaning just begin to pour out of you. Come on, just let it pour out of you.
people weeping by themselves right now. Right now, I don't think you have to weep alone for the lost. If one can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight, I believe if we begin to join together that God can birth something in this room right now like we've never seen before. So as it's appropriate, I want you to link up with the person next to you and I want you to get ready to pray together. The level you were just at, you're about to go to the next level now. Come on, that's it. Join together. And I want you to lose your voice in this atmosphere right now. Come on. into this atmosphere right now. Call their name out. Get very specific with God right now. Come on, declare their name.
want us to pray for something right now. The mindset of the prodigal right now is when I come home, I'm just going to be a servant. And I feel like we need to bind that mindset right now. And we need to release that says, no, when you come home, we're going to restore you. We're going to put the robe back on you. We're going to put the ring back on you. And we're going to put you back to work. I think we need to pray into the atmosphere right now. That the mindset that when they come home, not if, when they come home, they're going to have to come in here with their head hung low. And we're going to pray that God would begin to drop the seed into their mind. When they walk in, they're going to be restored back to what they were before they ever left. Come on, we need to release that into the atmosphere right now. I want you to call the name of the people that you lifted your hand. Some of you said 2, 3, 4, 10, 20. I want you to call their name. And I want you to begin to pray that God would drop the thought. When they come at home, they're going to be welcome home. They're going to be restored into this house. We're going to put a new garment on them. We're going to give them the name back. Come on, let's pray it right now.
Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. This past weekend, we had our, our lead team retreat. I shared with our lead team our vision for the year 2023. We're going to be sharing that with all the church on January the 8th. But uh, this is just right in line with what I believe the Lord is calling us to as a church. Be a light that shineth in a dark place, a salvation station, a place where people feel safe. They can come home, they can know that they're going to be received. If God loves them, who are we not to? But you know, this month, our theme is rejoice. It was said this morning that Miriam and the gang, they had the right song on the wrong side. I think we ought to go ahead and rejoice now. For what we believe by faith and know that God is going to do. Come on, let's go out of here tonight with a shout of triumph. I thank you, Lord, for every prodigal that's coming home. I thank you, Lord, for every unseen loved one. We rejoice by faith. We rejoice. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. You've heard it said before, this time of the year, there's more suicides than any other time of the year. There's more loneliness. There's more heartache. There's more hurt. Because people see everything, everybody's celebrating with families, and people wonder, what's wrong with me? This is the prime time to let people know that Jesus loves them. This is the prime time. This is the season. Come on, don't get just caught up all in the parties and the commercialization and forget this is the season. Don't forget the reason of the season. It's all about Jesus. It's all about He loves every single person. Thank you, Brother Harpole. Thank you for sharing that burden and I believe a word from the Lord for our church. You believe that? Would you hug your brother and sister and tell them we're going to see our prodigals come home? We're not even going to call them prodigals anymore. We're going to see our loved ones. We're going to celebrate together. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.